From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha, our Monday edition, exciting Monday edition for May 9th, 2022, is here. All right, so we are starting a brand new Torah portion this week and a brand new discussion. We have a lot to talk about. Torah portion this week is Emar, and we begin with mitzvot, commandments that pertain to a very specific group of people, the Kohanim the priestly family. Um, so let's jump in. We're going to look at the screen or look at the paper, look at the sheets in front of you for the Torah reading. Um, let's make sure this is the right link. Yes, it is. All right, Torah reading for Emmar. Um, as I've been mentioning the last few weeks, since Passover, since the end of Passover, Israel has been on a different schedule for the Torah readings. That's because their holiday ended one day earlier Passover ended on a Friday, ours ended on a Saturday. So because ours ended on a Friday, sorry, because theirs ended on a Friday, the next day that Shabbat, they read the next Torah portion. We still read the holiday reading, so we're one week late on the Torah portions, later than Israel. So we're at Emar, they're already up to Bahar, which is our next week's Torah portion. Be that as it may, we're going to study, like we study here in the diaspora, we're going to study Emar. Leviticus chapter 21, verse number 1. Let's jump in. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron, and say to them. So clearly, even before we get into the message, to the content of the message, the first thing we know is that this message is being directed to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron, i.e. the priests, the Jewish priests. And this is the message. Let none of you defile himself for a dead person among his people. And what that means is that a Kohen, somebody belonging to the priestly family, should not come in contact with a corpse, with a dead body, except for, the, for his relative who is close to him, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, and for his virgin sister who is close to him, who was not yet with a man for her, he shall defile himself. In other words, just to clarify, the Kohen is instructed to maintain spiritual purity, personal purity. Now, we know that coming in contact with a dead body renders a person spiritually impure. So the Torah says, avoid becoming impure by coming in contact with, with a dead body, except when it's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to lay to rest one's parents, uh, God forbid, children, I mean, all God forbid, parents, children, siblings, except for the sister that's married, because the understanding of the sister that's married, her husband has the obligation to tend to her burial and to deal with, uh, with, with those details in a, in a hands-on way. But with, with that exception, the other very close relatives, the Kohen is allowed to be directly involved in preparing, handling the body, etc., and laying the loved one to rest, and thus becoming impure. But for anyone else, the Torah says... God says to Moses, tell the Kohanim, they should not become impure. By the way, there's another mitzvah. 
There's another mitzvah. Uh, sorry, another exception, which is known as mes mitzvah. In a situation where there's a corpse, for example, on the side of a road, a dead body, and there's no one around to lay it to rest, and the only one there that came across it is a Kohen. There's no one, you can't call anyone else. So then, of course, he is obligated to, to, to tend to this person's burial, to lay them to rest, even though he's going to become ritually impure in the process because there's no one else around. What we're saying here is if there are others around and others could take care of the burial, the Kohen should not be directly involved because the Kohen has to uh, maintain personal purity. Have to buy your sister's funeral? And he wasn't able to go... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Faye's mentioning when her sister passed away, it passed away a few months ago. So there was a Kohen, even till this day. So Faye's pointing out something very important. Even to this day, Kohanim, many Kohanim will not walk into a cemetery. They'll stay on the side. What they've done in um, the old Montefiore Cemetery in New York for the Rebbe's burial place, because many people want to go there for prayers and petitions, and, um, you know, Kohanim also want to go. Co- you know, people that are a Kohen, they also want to, want to be part of it. So they've created a path in the cemetery with walls which are in, high enough that it almost creates a separation from the rest of the cemetery. So they create a path with, with, a, with a screen wall where when you walk on the path, you're not in the cemetery. The cemetery is almost like blocked off, and that takes you straight to the Rebbe's Ohel. We know that the gravesite of a tzaddik, that is considered to, to not render one impure on that level because a tzaddik has a level of purity that even in their passing, that is a little bit different than, 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 than everyone else. But that's how it's done. Before that path was created, um, again, this is Old Montefiore Cemetery by the Rebbe's resting place, they cr- people created a box, literally. When I say a box, I mean literally, imagine a box, like a large box sitting on the ground with walls, like a, a, a okay, I'm going to see if I can use paper to, to depict it. Imagine four walls, right? A box comprised of four walls, like one, two, three, and four. And the person... There, and there was like a little bit of a door. You open up the door, you step in, you close the door behind you. Had two handles, very lightweight aluminum. And you could hold it while you were walking and basically created a fortress around you to walk inside a box. So it's creating a separate space. So even though you're in a cemetery, but you're surrounded, again, by these, this box with, that had walls high enough to render it a separate space. And thus you could go inside the cemetery in that box. That's a bit of a halachic hack of the system. It's completely kosher. But most cemeteries don't have a path for Kohanim. And most cemeteries don't have that box to use. It's just, you know, a thing that was created for a specific purpose. Okay. Rabbi. Yes, Ray. Could you um, repeat, please, um, when it's a married sister and when it's a sister that's not yet married? So yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. So the Torah says that if, God forbid, the Kohen's unmarried sister passes away, so then he is to engage in the burial preparations and not worry about becoming defiled in the process. He should be hands-on. 
with the exception, and what's not mentioned is, of course, the married sister, because the married sister, the understanding is that the husband would, um, would tend to her, to her funeral, to her burial. Um, but in the case with the unmarried sister, so that was, that, that's still the exception to his rule of typically avoiding coming in contact with, um, with death, human death. Thank you. Okay, sure. All right, verse number four. We're going to get back inside in a moment. Um, give me a second. All right. Um, let's put this up on the screen. Here we go. Verse four. But a husband shall not defile himself for a wife who causes his desecration while she is among his people. So what does that mean? That means if the Kohen marries someone who he shouldn't marry, someone who's unfit to marry a Kohen, the Koh- which we'll get into um, in a few verses, who a Kohen can and cannot marry. If a Kohen marries someone who he's not supposed to marry, that's an exception to the exception. So the rule is he should not, he should not deal with funerals and burials. The exception is his wife. The exception to the exception is a wife that he wasn't supposed to marry in the first place, right? Because she's uh, not fit for a Kohen, to marry a Kohen. In that case, he should not deal with her burial funeral and thus become impure. So the exception is, if you will, and, and we use a borrowed term, a kosher wife for a Kohen, that is the exception, but not one who is unfit for the Kohen, which we'll define soon in, in the actual Chumash. And we're going to get back to Rashi's on this soon, but just this is the, the general idea. Next, verse 5. They, the Kohanim, the priests, shall not make bald patches on their heads, nor shall they shave the edge of their beard, nor shall they make cuts in their flesh. What are we talking about? We're talking about most predominantly in the context of mourning, the loss of a loved one. So many people had the custom back then to pull out their hair or to cut their, to, to cut their skin. It cuts in their skin. And so the Torah says, a Kohen should not do that. It's, a Kohen should not desecrate their body, their hair even, uh, to that. Uh, um, um, a Kohen should not do that. You should know that the Torah forbids it for everyone. The Torah forbids making ball patches and cutting the flesh for anyone, even a non-Kohen, who loses a loved one. And that's elsewhere in Torah. We've studied this before. The Torah prohibits cutting oneself or pulling out one's hair. You know, I mean, the Torah says don't do it. But here there's a specific commandment and prohibition for the Kohen as well. Let's continue verse 6. They shall be holy to their God. This is kind of a general, the general umbrella, you know, feeling or sentiment for the Kohen is that the Kohen should be holy to God and they shall not desecrate their God's name for they, the Kohanim, the priests, they are the ones who offer up the fire offerings of the Lord, the food offering of their God, so they shall be holy. The Kohanim, the priests, have a very specific role, a very holy role. Maybe we call them holy rollers. No, they have a very holy role, and thus they have to treat themselves with decorum, respect, etc. Um, verse 7, now we get into who they can and cannot marry, as alluded to in, in verse 4. They, the Kohanim, the priest, shall not marry a woman who is a prostitute 
or who is desecrated. They shall not marry a woman who is divorced from her husband, for he the Kohen is holy to his God. Now, this is not a judgment by the Torah. The point is that the, the, I've seen it explained like this. And again, we have to be sensitive, obviously, when talking about this. All topics, including this topic, um, when thinking about this, this verse, verse number 7, I've seen it written. And you can choose whether you like this interpretation or, or perhaps we can research another one. But one thing that I've read is that a Kohen is, and we've discussed it before, a Kohen is all about peace. A Kohen is all about shalom, all about peace. So someone, a woman who had been in a relationship before that wasn't 100% peaceful um, and it ended, you know, and, and it ended, so that is not the, not the appropriate spouse for the Kohen. That's not saying it's her fault. It's not saying divorce is a bad thing. It's an, sometimes a very necessary thing. But again, this, and this is how I've seen it framed, um, the concept of divorce means that there was a break. There, there was some sort of fracture and splinter, which as amicable as it, as it can be, as it, as it perhaps theoretically could be, it still represents um, an imperfection in the, I don't, I don't want to use that word imperfection, let me strike that from the record, it still represents an element that might be less than 100% peaceful. And therefore, uh, the Kohen, I, I've seen, therefore some explain, the Kohen is not to marry a divorcee. But anyway, this is ultimately that God, God says, God decrees, and whether we understand or don't understand, but th this is, again, one, one understanding, that one, one explanation that I've seen. Uh, what about a widow? A widow, he's allowed to. widow, he's allowed to. Only a Kohen God, only a high priest cannot marry a widow, which we'll see, um, which we will see in verse 14. Okay, we'll see that soon. But a, a standard Kohen, not the, not the Kohen Gadol, can marry, um, can marry a widow. Let's continue with verse 8. You shall sanctify him. That's the Kohen. For he offers up the food offering of your God, and he shall be holy to you. For I, the Lord, who sanctifies you, am holy. It's interesting. This is like... Who, who's God speaking to here? You shall sanctify him. Moses, you should sanctify him, or us, everyone else, you should sanctify and revere the Kohen on some level, consider him holy. We'll see Rashians. If a, if, the, if a Kohen's daughter becomes desecrated through adultery, she desecrates her father, she shall be burned in fire. Now you should know, you should know that uh, adultery in Torah is always a capital crime with a potential, potentially capital punishment. Um, what's, what's different here is that the form of Misa, the form of, of, of capital punishment, is burned in fire as opposed to whatever the, the standard one was, which we learned last week, by the way. I just, I'm not, just not remembering it from, last, from a few days ago. But we talked about what the standard, say standard, what the theoretical standard punishment for adultery is, biblically, is uh, one form of death, this is a different form that is uh, unique to the Kohen's family. And a Kohen, and of course the commentators talk about that and explain why. We'll get into Rashi on that a little, in a little bit. And the Kohen who is elevated above his brothers. Now we talk, we switch from the standard Kohen to the Kohen Gadol. This is the one who is elevated above his brothers. This is the one individual who is the, the high priest, the Kohen Gadol. So upon whose head the anointment oil has been poured, or who has been inaugurated to wear the garments. So that, that guy, the 
the high priest, he shall not leave his hair unshorn or rend his garments. In other words, even in, in, in the context of mourning a loved one and a close relative, Shiva, right? The, 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 the protocol of Shiva is that we don't cut the hair, we let the hair grow long, and the garments are torn. It's called kriya. The garments are, 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 are rent. Are, uh, rent? I think that's the word, rent. Yeah. The garments are torn. But not the Kohen Gadol, not the high priest. God says in the Torah, God commands the high priest, even in a state of, of mourning, a close relative, a parent, God forbid, a sibling, a child, whatever, don't leave the hair unshorn, don't rend the garments. That is not, uh, he's not permitted. And he shall not come upon any dead bodies. He shall not defile himself for his father or his mother. Even a close relative, like a parent, the Kohen Gadol, the one high priest, is not permitted to be hands-on in laying them to rest. Of course, as Faye mentioned, and as, as we know, we've seen it at funerals, the, you know, the person could, they didn't have cars then, but could be you know, looking, observing, but as far as hands-on, direct contact and direct proximity, the high priest cannot be with, even with his close, close relatives. He shall not leave the sanctuary, and he will not desecrate the holy things of his God, for the crown of his God's anointing oil is upon him. I am the Lord. In other words, as careful as we are with a regular Kohen, with uh, maintaining their spiritual purity, we go even greater, even more, you know, even, we're even more careful for the high priest who is the crown of God's anointing. Oh, yeah. How does one get to become the high priest versus the Kohen? Excellent. How you know which brother is? Excellent. Great question. Great question. So let me repeat the question for everybody on Zoom. Faye's asking, how, what was the process of becoming the high priest like? Um, we know that the priest, the Kohanim, it's literally people who are descendants of, of Aaron, the original high priest. So that family is the priestly family. Uh, but your question is, back in the day when they had a high priest, let's say he had more than one son. So which son would become the high priest? It's a good question. You know, how does succession work? So essentially, it works by the most qualified candidate. So, and usually the father, who is the high priest, would choose which of his sons he deemed most worthy of that. If none of his sons were worthy of, of being the high priest, then it would go outside that immediate family to obviously another Kohen, but outside of that immediately, immediate vicinity. And there was, um, it's discussed in the halachic text about how exactly that went down. But typically you would look for a son who was qualified. If none were qualified, you looked outside that, that immediate family. Can you, I mean, you can imagine that there might have been times where there was a little bit of uh, friction, perhaps, but I don't recall any instances offhand, but I'm sure I'm sure they're recorded somewhere. Okay, let's get back in. And now we talk about who the, who the high priest can marry. Can he, I ask one question? Yeah, for sure. Is this um, going back to number 11? Is yeah. this possibly related back to Aaron and his sons? Interesting. Interesting. I, I would say it relates. Now, I, I don't know if, you know... I'm not sure if we can say that that's where it comes from, but it certainly relates to that episode. In other words, if we knew then what we know now, and maybe they did know then, just we didn't, it just chronologically it hasn't been told to us, that means that Aaron could, was, 
not permitted to participate in the funeral directly laying to rest of his own sons. That is correct. That is correct. That's what the implication would be of this. Because he was the high priest. And even a very close relative, he, yeah. Which would mean, now, the brothers, there were four sons, right? Two of them passed away. Not the Benavio. Elazar and Itamar were still alive. Elazar and Itamar could participate in their brother's burial because as a regular Kohen, you could come in contact with a dead body if it's a close relative like a sibling. But you're right, Aaron, correct. You are absolutely correct. Aaron was not, would have not been permitted to, um, to participate hands-on. Look, you know, it's, these are interesting laws. That's uh, to put it mildly. These are interesting laws, and the question is, what does this do emotionally? Right? What is it, well, how does that affect the person emotionally? Um, knowing that they can't participate in a funeral. They can't rend their garments. They can't uh, let their hair grow long. Signs of mourning. What does that do for that mourning, that cathartic mourning expression? These are very good questions. I don't know that I have the answer, but it's a, it's a good thing to think about. And maybe, you know, everyone can do a little research on this and see if you find something... Please share with me if you find something that I'll share with you as well, if you find some, some good language. You know, the Torah does say a few times, maybe the clue is, in, is there. And I don't know what it is exactly, but the Torah says a few times, you know, because the, the high priest is the crown. I'll pull up the screen just to show you what I'm talking about. It says, um, for the crown of his God's anointing oil is upon him. Um, yeah, the Kohen, verse 10, who is elevated above his brothers, whose head the anointing oil has been poured, there's something about like his status being such that it's not appropriate for him. And, and the, does that mean he's too important or too holy to have feelings? I, I mean, that's, I, we don't want to say that, right? That, that would be, that would not sound right. Yeah, so Faye's asking, could he retreat inward? Right, and then kind of work on himself. Yeah. I guess he would have to, but it's, it's an interesting, anyway, a lot of food for thought and, and conversation here. Let's see who he can marry. Verse 13, he shall marry a woman in her virgin state. In other words, unmarried woman. A, a widow, oh, right, we mentioned for a widow, a divorcee, a woman who is desecrated or a prostitute, he shall not marry any of these. Only a virgin of his people he may take as a wife. So the high priest has the <laughs> narrowest pool of Potential wives to, uh, potential of women to, to marry. Okay. And he shall not desecrate his offspring among his people, for I am the Lord who sanctifies him. Okay, a lot of stuff. We're going to go back, look at Rashi. Let's go through this. Now, Faye, you don't have Rashi on the sheet. I have a button here that says show Rashi, and it pops up. So I'll read it. You can listen, but it's, you're not going to see this inside. Um, First verse of the reading. The Torah says, God said to Moses, Emar el Kohanim, b'nei Aaron, speak to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron, v'amar telem, and speak to them. Speak to them and speak to them. It's redundant. Rashi. Rashi says this double expression comes to admonish the adult Kohanim to be responsible for the minors. 
speak, speak means that Moses should tell the Kohanim, the adults, but then the adults should tell the kids. If you're, if you're a Kohen, it's not enough that you know the laws of who you can marry, who you can't marry, what you can touch, what you can't touch, which funeral you can be at, which funeral you can't. It's not enough that you know that. You got to ensure that your kids, the next generation Kohanim, should also know that. And that they should know that they're supposed to tell their kids and their kids and their kids and that this should be something that is passed down generationally in the Kohen, the Kohen family that this is the status of a Kohen. I would say that one of the challenges of our generation, speaking very practically, is that you can have a Kohen in 2022, a young, you know, a young kid out of college, you know, last name, Katz, maybe, right? 22 years old, who's a Kohen, but doesn't know what that means. And then may not know, you know, number one, the cool perks that you get to be a Kohen. You get perks. Yeah, you got first called up first to the Torah. Maybe he knows that because when he was bar mitzvah, they called him up first. Okay, maybe. But doesn't know the responsibility that comes with that about not you know, necessarily going to every funeral inside the cemetery and not you know, being a little bit more careful about who to marry. So there's, you know, even till today, there's, there's some, of that, some of that is practiced or at least cautioned about. So here we have a beautiful Rashi that explains the double expression of the verse. Speak, speak. Don't just tell the parents. Tell the parents that they have to tell their kids. And that when they get older, they're going to tell their kids to keep this going throughout the generations. Okay, let's get back into Rashi. Rashi. No, I'm going to skip a Rashi or two. Look at this. The sons of Aaron, but not the daughters of Aaron. Look at that. The girls are not, do not have these prohibitions. Why? Because they may become defiled for the dead. In other words... It's only the male Kohanim who actually serve and bring sacrifices in the Mishkan, in the temple, in the sanctuary. They're the ones that, cannot be, that are not supposed to become defiled by, by coming in contact with the dead. But the, the daughters of Aaron, female Kohanim, they are not uh, limited by these restrictions. Um, okay. Oh, and this is what I said before, this next Rashi. Um, uh, Rashi says, this comes to exclude from the prohibition a Kohen who comes across a mes mitzvah, a dead person for whom no one is in calling distance to attend to his burial, and thus it is incumbent for people to attend to him. So if the Kohen comes upon a mes mitzvah, no one's around, there's a dead, God forbid, a dead person, and, and he's gotta, you know, someone's got to take care of things, then he just leaves his personal sanctity aside and does it. Um, the expression his relative refers only here to his wife. Oh, I see. Wife is not mentioned in the verse. Look at that. Look at verse 2. When we talk about the exceptions, we talk about mother, father, son, daughter, brother, and unmarried sister. What about wife? Rashi says the word, except for his relative, that refers to his wife. In other words, when it says that he's allowed to, be, he's allowed to participate in the burial of his relative... And then it says his mother, father, well, who's the relative? That means his wife. That's a euphemism for wife. The relative who's close to him, which relative is the closest to him? His spouse. So his spouse, it, it, the, Rashi is saying the Torah doesn't even have to mention it. It's so obvious that his spouse is included in the exception. Of course, he's allowed to participate in her funeral. Even though he's a Kohen, it's his wife. 
And in addition to his wife, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, and his unmarried sister. Okay, so that's a good Rashi to clarify that wife is included in the list of those who he can participate in the funeral. Um, yeah, and by the way, it says regarding the unmarried sister, for her he shall defile himself. Rashi says this is an obligation for him to do so. If she's not married and he's the brother, yeah, it's an obligation. It's not just he's permitted to do so if he wants to. He has to. Who else is going to tend to her funeral? Um, But a husband shall not defile himself for a wife who causes desecration. Right, Rashi says, he may not defile himself for his deceased wife who was unfit for him and by whom he was desecrated from his status while she was with him. In other words, if the Kohen marries a woman who he wasn't supposed to, so then then he shouldn't, then that's the exception to the exception, and he should not participate in that burial or funeral. Again, if there's no one else to do it, of course he's allowed to, then it becomes a mass mitzvah, but otherwise he should stay a little bit on the sidelines. Okay, then verse 5. They shall not, the Kohan and the priest shall not make ball patches on their heads, etc. for a deceased, says Rashi. But are not all Israelites warned against this? As it says in Deuteronomy? In other words, as, and I said this before, uh, when, when we learned it. Everyone, no one's, no Jew is allowed to do that, so why are we specifying the Kohen? It's across the board. However, when referring to the Israelites, Scripture says you shall not make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. Thus one might think that one is not liable for making ball patches anywhere else in the head. In other words, for, we might think that for an Israelite, uh, for all, all of us, right, you, the only time you're liable is when it's between your eyes, when it's in the center of the head. Scripture therefore says regarding Kohanim, they shall not make ball patches on their heads, which means anywhere on the head. The entire head is included in that prohibition, even from the side. You can't do that. And we can extrapolate from Kohanim to all the Israelites through Xer Shava. Oh, I'm not going to get into this right now. But basically, I mean, I don't, the nitty-gritty of how this works, sometimes when the Torah gives you two laws, and there's a common denominator, whether it's a word that's used, like an interesting, unique word that's used in both places, or a unique you know, point of reference that are, that are the same in both places, you can derive from one place to the other certain halachas. It's a, very, it's a very important mechanism of Jewish law, of derivation of Jewish law, and it's used very carefully in the Talmud. Rashi's telling us that there's a Gzer Shava. This method is used here to go from the Kohen to everyone. Because by everyone, it says, don't make ball patches between the eyes, which means in the center of the head. By the Kohen, it says, don't make ball patches anywhere. And we learn from the Kohen and, to, and, and apply it to everyone that when it comes to everyone, they also cannot make ball patches anywhere in the head, not only between. Now, why does the Torah, therefore, by, by Israelites, say only between the eyes? That's another question. Which, 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 it doesn't mean literally between the eyes. It means if you center between the eyes, it's the center, the center, the center of the, of the head, exactly, the middle of the head, between the eyes. Like we put on tefillin, it says between your eyes. We don't wear the tefillin here. We wear it here, but it's lined up between, between the eyes, centered on the face. So that centering, so we might have thought, in short, if I would say this in my own words, we might have thought that when it comes to the prohibition across the board, it's only if it's in the center of the head. That's the only time it's forbidden. So we derive from this teaching regarding Kohanim 
that no, the prohibition applies anywhere in the head. Don't pull out any of the hairs on the head as a sign of mourning. It's a long Rashi, but we are going to uh, just be uh, suffice with that. Nor shall they shave the edges of their beard. Since it is stated in reference to all Israelites, and you shall not destroy the edge of your beard, one might think that if one removed the hairs with tweezers or with a plane, what's a plane? It's like an edge? It's a flat. It's a flat. Flat surface. So it's not a razor. It's a plane. Okay. That sounds very rough. I'll be honest. It sounds very painful. I don't even know what that means. Just like hacksaw it. So one thing, one might think one would be like, um, one would be liable to, ha- to lashes. Therefore, it says here, nor shall they shave, meaning that one is liable only for something called shaving with destruction involved in it, that being a razor. So basically, basically, um, it's only a razor that one is uh, prohibited. And that's why you see today that some people do, I mean, Chabad, you know, rabbis certainly typically don't shave, you know, but many people do, many observant Jews do. And the reason is because they don't use a, they don't use a, a razor, a straight edge. They use... Something electric, like an electric shave or something. Something uses a different type of uh, formula. I don't mean formula. Like a different type of uh, technology as opposed to a, a, straight, a straight blade. Oh, I was just thinking that you can use an electric shaver, but you can't use a razor blade. So some have the, 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 the tradition to use, the tradition. Some um, work with the allowance to use an electric Shaver, but not, not a razor blade, exactly. Well, in the old days, they didn't have one. Right, in the olden days, that's why everyone had a beard. I'm kidding, not everyone had a beard. But that's why many, you know, many back in the day had a beard. Nowadays, beards are in. Yeah. I've seen it all. I've seen, I mean, not whatever, not that old, but I've seen, I've seen, I've seen a uh, circle. Now, it's hip. I don't know if actually now it's hip. It was hip not that long ago, but, you know, things change very rapidly. I go to Pond City Market, and I see beards and fedoras. I see a bunch of Chabadniks walking around everywhere. It's like Gorin Brothers, they're selling fedoras. I mean, okay, they're a little bit, I would say they're a little bit more interesting than the ones that I wear. I would love to wear some of them. They got feathers and colors and like, very cool, very cool place. Um, but anyway, beards and hats, might as well just, just call yourself Chabad and just, just uh, take, take the quick route. All right. Uh, nor shall they make cuts in their flesh. Rashi says there's a double expression, yisertu sarates, which means literally cut a cut in their flesh. Cut a cut. Why double? So since regarding all Israelite scripture states, you shall not make cuts in your flesh for a person who died, one might think that if someone made several cuts, five cuts, for example, he would be liable for having transgressed only one negative commandment. Scripture therefore states, nor shall they cut a cut to make one become liable for every individual cut made. Interesting. So I'll give you the short version of this. The Torah says regarding Kohanim, don't cut a cut in the flesh for mourning. Why cut a cut? To tell you, as Rashi says from the Medrash and Talmud, that every cut is its own prohibition. If somebody, right, somebody would, 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 would etch five, would cut five marks in their body from that mourning pain, right, five cuts, how many prohibitions did they do? You say one. Take the cut. No, every, every cut is a different prohibition. It's another violation of the law. You know, like in the law, they hit you with multiple counts, right? Multiple counts of, uh, so here you have multiple counts. Every cut is an, it's its own count, if you will, a prohibition. All right, next, back inside. They shall be holy. 
Um, they shall be holy, Rashi says. Scripture does not state they are holy, but rather they shall be holy. What does that mean? It means that if a, if a Kohan or a priest wish to defile themselves over the dead and thereby desecrate their holiness. Let's say a Kohen says, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to go to the cemetery. I'm going to... So back in the day, against their will, the court must prevent them from doing so. The court would actually put a restraining order or, I don't know, something against them from doing that and thereby sanctify them in this respect. The court would actually, to whatever extent that it could, I mean, it can't actually like lock someone up, but the court would mandate that they don't go and defile themselves even if they wanted to. Um... Interesting. Shall not marry a woman who's a prostitute. Rashi says, prostitute doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. It means a woman with whom an Israelite who is forbidden to her has cohabited. For example, relationship punishable by excision. So if she was involved in an incestuous relationship before, that's who we're talking about here. I hope that's clear. Right? A woman, Rashi says, a woman with whom an Israelite who is forbidden to her has cohabited. Now, she has been previously intimate with someone who's forbidden to her as defined in Leviticus chapter 18, which is essentially the, the well, yes, that would be a problem. That would be, that would be one of the forbidden, right, exactly. And adulterous would be part of that uh, prohibited relationships or incestuous, like family, you know, in, in incest relationships. Um, uh, or a nothing a descendant of the Gibeonites who were converted at the time of Joshua, forbidden to marry. Oh, they weren't real. They pretended to convert, but they didn't really convert, so they got banned from marrying into the Jewish people, whatever. Or a mom's are the product of a forbidden union, all of those. So a woman who is in these categories, that is um, unfit for the Kohen to marry. She is, the Kohen is unfit to marry her. Or she is unfit to be married by a Kohen. Um, so she was born out of wedlock. Marry. Yeah, something like that, right. Well, uh, not always. No, it's more of a forbidden union. Not necessarily out of wedlock. No, Mamzer could be somebody who the, the relationship itself was forbidden. It's a little, it might, might not, not necessarily be, be that case. Um, people use that word in more colloquial way than legal ways. So that's why it's taken on a bit of a different connotation. All right, you shall sanctify him against his will. Meaning if he refuses to divorce such a woman, lash him and chastise him until he divorces her. All right, well, there you go. He shall be holy to you, treat him with holiness, i.e. he should be the first to commence any matter and be the one who begins the blessings at a meal. And of course, they get up called first the Torah. Um, if a coin's daughter becomes desecrated through adultery, she desecrates her father, she has desecrated and degraded his honor, for people will say of him, cursed is he who fathered this one, cursed is he who raised this one. And her punishment, Rashi doesn't mention why fire. But there are other sources, I'm forgetting now, there are other sources that speak to the fire. Again, the notion that the, 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 the sin of adultery is punishable theoretically, potentially, by death, capital punishment, that is a notion that's throughout Torah. What's unique here is the methodology, which is fire, and there's a connection between Kohen and fire that is discussed in certain places. Um, Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, should not leave his hair unshorn, which means, as I explained, he shall not leave his hair unshorn as a gesture of mourning. Typically, we, 
we do leave our hair uncut, we let the hair grow out as a sign of mourning. The Kohen Gadol should not do so. Now, what is considered leaving one's hair unshorn? More than 30 days. It doesn't mean he has to have, has to, has to have a haircut every day. It means don't let it go longer than 30 days. Longer than 30 days already is a sign of mourning. And he should not do that. Um, he shall not come upon any dead bodies, which means, as Rashi says, he shall not enter the tent or house wherein the dead person lies. Which would make, and this is a very practical thing, make it problematic for the Kohen Gadol, in this case, as, as discussed in this context, to walk into a, um, a hospital, because the assumption is that somewhere in the hospital, somebody may be deceased, and then you may have a problem. You may not always, some other, other um, considerations to that law, but it could create, it could be a problem. Not a Kohen. The person who sits with the, with, the, with the deceased until their burial would not be a Kohen. Unless it's a close relative, in which case it's okay, as we saw over here. But otherwise, a non-Kohen typically is, is chosen for that role. Faye, let me just explain, because it's a very important thing that also I feel like always needs emphasis. There's a beautiful Jewish tradition, and it's very sacred, that from when a person passes away until they are laid to rest, their body, or they, should not be left alone. Yeah. Wow. You did that for your sister? Wow. It's very, very special. It's a very special mitzvah. Because we, our belief, our tradition has it that not only is the soul sacred, the body is also sacred. Because the body was a partner with the soul for so many years. So the body itself is holy. And that's why it's laid to rest respectfully. We don't, we don't hurt, damage, cut, destroy the body. We lay the body to rest as respectfully as possible. So we're there with the body because the body itself has, um, is undergoing a process. And the body itself is holy. Let alone the soul, which for the first little while, at least a little while, the soul is observing what's going on with the body. And for the soul to see the body left alone and ab- I mean, abandoned, as it were, would be very painful for the soul. So for both the body and the soul of our loved one, we, are, we remain with, the, with, with the, the body, ideally 24-7. 24-7 until they are laid to rest. Okay, let's get back inside, but thanks for mentioning that because that is a very important mitzvah. It's called uh, a shomer. Shomer means somebody to watch and observe and guard, so to speak. And it's not guarding from, you know, back in the day, they had a guard from body snatchers. It's not what this is. This is... Literally taking watch over a loved one or, or over a stranger. I've done it before for people that I didn't know. It's a tremendous mitzvah. Okay, let's continue. Um, all right, he shall not defile himself for his father or his mother. This is referring to the high priest. Since the Kohen Gadol unlike the ordinary Kohen, is forbidden to defile himself for any dead body, even for his parents, this seemingly superfluous statement here comes only to permit him to defile himself for a mess mitzvah. I'm going to explain this. A dead person for whom there is no one to attend to his burial. So let me explain. We said that a regular Kohen should not attend burials and funerals, with the exception of close relatives and a mitzvah scenario. If there's no one else to do it, he should do it. A Kohen Gadol, a high priest... Not even for relatives. 
right? High priest, not even for father, mother, sister, brother. Kohen Gadol does not get involved, has to watch from afar. But there's still one exception, a mess mitzvah where there's no one around. If a Kohen Gadol, the high priest is, tra- is walking alone in the forest and he comes across a dead body and there's no one around and no one to, to, to lay this person to rest, he should do it. We don't tell him to run. We don't tell him to, to get away and call someone else. I mean, I guess if it's easy enough to do so, fine. But if there's no one around, he can't reasonably call someone in time to respectfully lay this person to rest, he should do it. So not to family, but for a mitzvah. And here we see the Torah sensitivity to, to a pressing scenario. We don't say that no one should ever stand on ceremony and say, well, I can't do it. Sorry, this guy has to suffer. When it comes to the parent, to the family, to the close relatives, we say to the Kohen Gadol, someone else do it. Some, let someone else do it. You'll stand on the side and watch. Right? You'll be there, you'll stand to the side, let someone else do it. But a mess mitzvah, mess mitzvah, mess means a dead body, mitzvah, that's a mitzvah. In other words, no one else, no one else to do it. It's now a pressing need. The Kohen Gadol cannot fold his arms and say, or shrug his shoulders and say, yeah, I wish I could do it. I can't. Get in there and do it. I'm a high priest. There's no exceptions. This is one. One exception. And it reminds us of what it says in Pirkei Avot, chapter 2 of Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers, which we just studied this past Shabbat. In the afternoon, the tradition is to study one chapter a week between Passover and Shavuot. So we studied chapter 2 this past week, a few days ago. So it says, B'makom she'in ish, hishtadel liyot ish. Where there's no one around, stand up, be the one to stand up. Literally means... Um, when there's no person around, you be that person. And in this case, we're talking directly to the high priest. There's no one around. Who do you want to bury this? You do it. I can't. I'm the high priest. Do it anyway. There's no one else around. You got to step up. You got to step up to the plate. Powerful lesson about stepping up to the plate. You just can't let the body rot. You can't. You can't let the body rot. Yeah, you can't just let the body sit there, right? Again, if there's people around and whatever, that's one thing. But in the middle of nowhere... Are you going to run and come back? What about an animal could attack? You don't know what's going to happen. You can't let, let, the, you can't let the body be vulnerable and, and potentially desecrated like that. No way. You got you to take care of Got to take care of the mitzvah. To bury not even a loved one, certainly a loved one, but to bury anyone is a mitzvah. Say it again. It doesn't matter what religion the body is. I mean, look, you know, is it, every, every body is sacred. Every human has a soul and every body is sacred. So, yeah, it would, be, um, it would be across the board. Now, let's jump in to verse 12. And let's see Rashi. He shall not leave the sanctuary. Aha, uh-huh. a tweak to what I said before. He shall not leave the precincts of the sanctuary to follow the funeral procession, even of a relative. So I said he would stand on the side of, uh, of the cemetery, but maybe he has to stand on the side, but still inside the temple looking out from there. The sanctuary grounds, he has to be on, on the sacred grounds. Furthermore, from here our rabbis learned that a Kohen Gadol, a high priest, a high priest may offer up a, a sacrifice. This is only a high priest, by the way, not, not the regular priest. The high priest may offer up sacrifices even if he is an onen, an onen, i.e. if his close relative died on that day. The following, therefore, is the meaning of the verse. Even if his father or mother died, the Kohen Gadol need not leave the sanctuary, but he may perform the service. Yep. That's, uh, again, what about the emotional part of it? I, I, don't, I don't have a good answer right now for that, but this is the Torah standard for the one person on earth, for the, for the high priest. He will not desecrate the holy things, 
meaning that he does not thereby desecrate the holy service, for Scripture has permitted him to perform the holy service under such circumstances. However, an ordinary Kohen who performs the holy service while being an Onan desecrates it. In other words, an ordinary Kohen, not a Kohen Gadol, who serves on the day of a loved one's passing, desecrates the service, cannot do so. Um, shall not desecrate his offspring. The point is that the high priest should not marry one of those, uh, a category of, of a woman from a category that he's permitted, forbidden to, and if he does, then, it's not, then his offspring are also don't have the full status as well because of his father's choice. Okay, now um, let's summarize. I think we're good for today. We're not going to do readings two. We're not going to do reading two today, even though that would catch us up with Monday. I don't believe so. Let me just take a quick look at two. No, it's a little bit too long. And it's going to touch on a lot of really powerful themes related to being a Kohen and relating to the job of a Kohen. So really, this, the opening of Emar, this week's Torah portion, is really heavily focused on instructions for the Kohen, many of which pertain only to a Kohen who lived back, back in the day, some of which we still carry on some traditions as I mentioned before, to this very day. Yeah, I'm looking even in reading three. We're still dealing with the Kohen. Okay, if you're a Kohen, this is of a lot of interest. If not, still of interest about, uh, about what a Kohen does. All right, in summation, I want to I kind of conclude with a lesson drawn from the opening verse and from the Rashi there, which I mentioned before, but I feel like I want to just emphasize again as we close it out for today. The Torah says, God says to Moses, Emar, Speak to the Kohanim and speak to them. Double expression, we said, means that you should speak now and for all generations. Tell the parents, to tell the children. It should be an ongoing, an ongoing dialogue. This is not just for the Kohen and for the Kohen's status. That a, it, it, certainly that's the initial context. But the truth is, the entirety of Judaism, the foundation of Jewish continuity is based on the double emar, the emar v'yamarta, the double speak. I don't mean double speak, but I mean on the fact that one generation communicates it to the next generation. So it's not enough for Moses to tell his people at that time what to do. What was necessary and has been necessary is always Moses tells the people, and he tells them, tell your kids, and tell them that when they have kids, they should tell their kids. And when those kids have kids, they should tell their kids. And thus, the chain of Judaism remains unbroken to this day. 3,334 years later, we're still connected. We're still studying it. We're still doing you know, whichever mitzvahs we still can without a temple. We're doing all this stuff. And the reason is because, unbroken, from the beginning till now, parents told their children, teachers told their, told, uh, told their, taught their students about Judaism and what it means to be a Jew. That's a powerful thing, to think about the dedication of individuals throughout our parents, our grandparents, great-grandparents, living through very oftentimes very difficult times. And if we're here today, it means that at some point, many points along that continuum, people, our relatives, made the choice, despite all the pressure and all the difficulty, to, to carry that message, to pass that message down to the next generation. So we should be grateful for those who came before us, 
and we should feel responsible to continue that legacy and carry that tradition forward. Well, yeah. Today, in the modern times, uh, you know, with the Kohanim, they don't, even though, even though they have sons, you know, like a friend of mine had the sons, and, but they don't become a, a high priest. No, no, no. Not high priest we don't have, no. Today we don't have a high priest at all. Just the Kohen, exactly. We just have a Kohen, we just have many Kohanim, and they get called first to the Torah, and there are other things. By and large, there's no temple, so there's no specific service. We all stopped with the second temple. Stop at the second temple. The one thing that we do, in addition to the, to the Kohen, the Kohanim getting called first to the Torah on Shabbat and, and weekdays when there's a Torah reading, is that at least in Ashkenazi shuls and the diaspora, so there's, on the holidays, on the major holidays, there's a, um, a, a portion that we set aside for the priestly blessings, where the, where the priests actually bless the congregation. So that's something that only a Kohen does, a non-Kohen wouldn't do. But other, other than that, yeah, the Kohen is, uh, the institution doesn't have all the, all the same protocols before. But whether it's a Kohen or not a Kohen, the idea that, that, that I'm mentioning about legacy, about tradition, I think is, uh, to me, it's very powerful to think about how if a choice went any other way at any other time, if for one generation, collectively, you know, Jews would have said, eh, forget it, we wouldn't be here. There was a conscious choice every generation, Emar Marta, to not only speak to, amongst ourselves, but to speak to our children and to tell them to pass it down forward. All right, so let's keep the, uh, let's keep the chain, keep the chain moving. Keep the, as I say in football, keep the chains moving. I think that's the expression. Keep the flame burning. Keep passing the baton, whether it's to our biological children, those that we've inspired, those that we can influence, students, friends, neighbors, whatever. Keep the tradition burning. All right. Thanks for joining. Faye, thanks for being here. Great to see you. And uh, Ray and Joy and Sarah and Olia, great to see you as well. Um, tonight, quick announcement. Tonight, we're doing Rosh Chodesh Society Lesson 7. It's all about the circle of life, and that is happening right here in this space at 7.30 p.m. Class is taught by Mrs. Dina Schusterman. It's a class for women only. The class is also on Zoom. If you need any information on that, email me, and I'll hook you up with that. So that is tonight. And, oh, if you're in person, you'll... you'll you'll enjoy the sushi. We have sushi platters and wine. So sushi and wine tonight in person. That's, that's for tonight, tomorrow night. So tomorrow day, 12 o'clock, we're doing this on Zoom, uh, Daily Power Parsha, uh, every day this week except for Thursday. Tomorrow night, we're launching our brand new JLI course, Beyond Right. If you're not yet signed up for it, I'd highly recommend it. It's a great course. We look at Jewish civil law and the values that drive it. So that's starting tomorrow night. If you're not sure about it, check, take the first class. Try it out. Do, take, take me up on my free trial offer and then decide if you'll like it. What a deal. What a bargain. Ride the car. Yeah, huh? Ride the car. Let me know if you like it. Exactly. A test drive. Exactly. It's a test drive of the, uh, of the course. So that's happening 8 p.m. Tuesday night. 7.30 tonight, Monday night. Tomorrow night is 8 p.m. Only on Zoom. Thursday, the Thursday class, we do Tuesday nights and Thursday afternoon. The Thursday is in person with lunch. We have bagels, lox, cream cheese, veggies on the side, and all that wonderful stuff. All right. 
It's good to see you all. I don't know what that salute was for, but it's good to see you all. Have a wonderful day, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Thank you, Rabbi. Pleasure, pleasure. Don't worry. We'll, uh, we'll get to it. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.